take a look Give me the hook Or the ovation It's my world That I want to have A little pride in My world And it's not a place I have to hide in Life's not worth a damn Till you can say
doesn't matter if you love him or capital H I M M M M M. Just put your paws up, 'cause you were born this way, baby. Told me when I was young, we're all superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, 'cause he made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far.
Good morning. My name is Kristen Parrish and my pronouns are she and her. I am a member of your board of trustees and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers, as well as those incredible efforts and dedication help to keep us connected. Sorry, that was awkward. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining worship this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitors form in the lobby or online and connect with others in the virtual or in-person social hour after the service so that we may meet and welcome you. Finally, for those attending worship in our sanctuary at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center this morning, please take a moment to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. And now for a few announcements. Following this morning's service, we are all invited to join staff members between 1130 and one for some community pride themed rock painting. The rocks we paint will be given out as gifts at our booth at Hoco Pride next Saturday. Meet up with us on the outside patio. We'll provide rocks and a good amount of paint and brushes. But if you have paint and brushes that you are willing to share, by all means, bring them. We look forward to seeing you and your designs. As mentioned in this previous announcement, UUCC will have a booth at this year's HOCO Pride Fest happening next Saturday, October 9th. And we hope to see you there. Volunteers are needed to staff our booth and to help with setup and takedown. Learn more by viewing the event on our website calendar. A reminder that Listening Circle returns this Tuesday at 6 p.m. All are welcome to join Director of Communications and Member Integration, Sarah Davidson, for a midweek social check-in. Bring whatever is on your hearts and minds for some time to connect with others in our community. And lastly, mark your calendars for our regathering of stuffed animals happening Saturday and Sunday, October 23rd and 24th. Families are invited to drop stuffies off on Saturday morning and pick them up on Sunday after the 10 a.m. service. We look forward to seeing your stuffies. Feel free to dress them up in Halloween costumes. Good morning, UUCC and friends, and thank you, Kristen, for the warm welcome this morning. My name is Paige Getty. I use she, her pronouns, and it is a privilege and a pleasure to worship with you today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary or joining us from another part of the county or the country, a few housekeeping notes as we begin. If you are here in the sanctuary, in addition to silencing your devices, please do not join the Zoom meeting worship. It confuses the systems and makes weird noises, so please don't do that. We do have hearing assist devices available from the team in the tech booth if you need those. You can find the order of service either online, there will be a link in the chat for those of you on Zoom, or using the QR codes that are posted around the building here. 
Early in the service today, we're going to be honoring the joys and sorrows from within our community. So if you would like to contribute to that, please write yours in the book at the back of the sanctuary or send them to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. If you're a guest today, please complete a visitor form so that we're better able to stay in touch with you. That is also available online or in person. And finally, because we have had some questions about protocol, I want to clarify that here in the sanctuary, everyone remains masked throughout the service unless they are speaker, a speaker on the chancel who is vaccinated. And in that case, they are invited but not obligated to remove their masks only while speaking. So thank you to everyone who contributes to making these services happen, our volunteers and our staff, ushers, tech team. It takes a true village. Thank you all. And special thanks this morning to Michael and Kelly for the music that you're going to offer. Be sure to read Michael's notes on the screen during his keyboard selections. And also thanks to lay members Ace Sorensen, Ashley Brizzo, Susie Gerb, Lisa Marini, and Sarah Basehart, who are all sharing personal stories today. Today, we celebrate National Coming Out Day, observed annually on October 11th to champion and also to counteract the fact that homophobia thrives in silence. And recognizing that we live in a society where to be straight, heterosexual, and cisgender are the norms, we observe Coming Out Day to center and illuminate varied and beautiful stories of people who are out as transgender, as lesbian, as pansexual, as fully and boldly their true selves, whatever identifiers they choose. We celebrate the beauty of our diversity and we also bear witness on behalf of those among us who are still, for whatever reasons, in the figurative closet, that they may know that their wholeness, their worth, their dignity are not in question, and that if they ever do choose to come out of the closet, there is a community in which they will be embraced and loved for who they fully, truly are. Homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, Misunderstanding and discrimination and ongoing marginalization, they thrive in silence. So today we speak, we share, we celebrate. One note about the particular reflections that you'll hear today. Each of these stories was written independently of the others, even the ones that may sound this morning like they're a response to one another. These testimonies are a sampling, a beautiful sampling of the varied experiences that we have as individuals, whether we share or seem to share identities or not. And even as we celebrate National Coming Out Day this morning, we will hear that coming out and being out is not always best or preferred. So thank you again to ACE, and Ashley and Susie and Lisa and Sarah for sharing your own stories in your own voices today. And now a poem written by poet, activist, feminist, lesbian, black woman, Pat Parker, and introduced to me in the mid-1990s in the collection Chloe Plus Olivia, 
an anthology of lesbian literature from the 17th century to the present, titled, My Lady Ain't No Lady. My lady ain't no lady. She doesn't flow into a room. She enters and her presence is felt. She doesn't sit small. She takes all her space. She doesn't partake of meals. She eats, replenishes herself. My lady ain't no lady. She has been known to speak in loud voice, to pick her nose, stumble on a sidewalk, swear at her cats, swear at me, scream obscenities at men, paint rooms, repair houses, tote garbage, play basketball, and numerous other unladylike things. My lady is definitely no lady, which is fine with me, because I ain't no gentleman. in celebration of wholeness and integrity and queerness of all kinds. Let us worship. And now I'm very pleased to welcome a Sorensen to the chancel to light and dedicate our flaming chalice. Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Ace, and I use he, she pronouns. Um, very excited to do this. It's the first time I've done chalice lighting. Um, as an LGBTQ plus youth, I've always had struggles with identity. Even when I was younger, I'd had a repulse towards boys and or men, even after I'd grown out of my, yuck, boys have cooties kind of phase. At first, I thought I was bicurious, then bisexual, then pansexual, then bisexual again, which now I'm looking back on it as anything to avoid identifying as a lesbian. Looking back on it now as a gender fluid lesbian, it was certainly quite the journey, which is my main topic, the journey of identity. Everyone's journey is valid. No matter how long it takes for you to feel comfortable in your label, if you end up using labels at all, that you go from gay to straight or bi to pan or straight to gay, whatever your journey may be, it's your identity and your journey is valid. Even though I always knew that my parents were supportive and liberal and open-minded, coming out was always a hard thing to do. When I first came out a few years ago as bi-curious, I was nervous to tell my mom and dad because I was intimidated by the fact that they might think less of me or that they wouldn't support it or that they would say I was too young or perhaps even say that it was just a phase. But then now, which is, oh yeah, it was this year. Um, this year, coming out as transgender and changing my name, which was especially painful for my parents, was difficult as well. I was scared that they wouldn't support it, that they would refuse to call me by my name, or that they would push it saying that it was just a phase and that I would grow out of it soon. Of course, they did support me and my name changed, but 
and they never wouldn't have in the first place, but it was still, I was very nervous that day. If this is your situation, or if you know that your parents wouldn't support you, or if you're not sure that they would, coming out can always be difficult and scary. It's just how it tends to work. But there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you very much, Ace. And now will all of you join in speaking together our congregational covenant as we celebrate and reaffirm these promises that we make to and with one another in our community. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now you are invited to take this opportunity to greet one another. If you're in the sanctuary, say hello to one another here in this room. Turn around and wave to the camera above the back door. If you're on Zoom, say hello. Hey, everybody. Nice to Good morning. My name is Kelly Daniker. My pronouns are she and hers, and it is my joy to serve as the religious education assistant at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. And I am particularly happy to be here this morning and back in the sanctuary for the very first time, or at least for me the first time. So have you ever met someone and when they enter a room, it lights up? Right? The room is suddenly brighter, it's more fun, it's more alive. That is how I would describe my brother, Glenn. I have always said that he was the kind of person that could walk into a room of 500 people, not be particularly fond of any of them, and every single one of those people would leave thinking that he was their new best friend. It was just magic to be around him. I don't remember a time in my family when we were not operating with the understanding that my brother was gay. My brother told me once about the conversation he had with my parents when he came out. He said they were very supportive, but that they worried. They worried that his life would be more difficult. They worried about how others would treat him. But the overwhelming sentiment was that he was loved and we would be there for him. That's not to say that he did not struggle. He did. He struggled with depression and later struggled when he was diagnosed with AIDS in the very early uncertain days of the AIDS crisis. 
My brother died at the age of 30 from AIDS, and in his honor, we had a quilt panel made for him to be included in the AIDS Memorial Quilt. And so the tech team is gonna help me share a picture of his panel. And so when you look at it, you can tell part of the story of how he lived. It will tell you that he loved his home state of Maryland. It will tell you about his love for all things Christmas. It will tell you that he was a national level competitive figure skater. And it will tell you that he was an accomplished theater professional. But in looking at that story, I'm kind of sad to say that it doesn't tell the story of how he loved. And that's kind of the point. Thanks for the photo tech team. When my brother was 25, five years before his death, he met the love of his life, Michael. And I'm sure I don't have to say this, but yes, they were magic together. They lived a life of travel and adventure and friends and family. And Michael was there holding my brother's hand at the end of his life. During the AIDS crisis that took my brother's life, a young composer named Jonathan Larson was living in New York and grappling with the reality of losing too many friends to the disease. He decided to channel his grief into a musical that he was working on, a musical that would come to be known as Rent. The musical Rent is sort of an updated version of the opera La Boheme. It is a musical about poverty and AIDS and death but it is, at its core, a musical about love. Central to that theme of love is the relationship between two characters, Angel, a trans woman, and Collins, a gay man, both of whom who have been diagnosed with AIDS. They meet, they fall in love, and it was magic. And Collins was there to hold Angel's hand at the end of her life. The story of my brother and his partner, the story of Angel and Collins, are stories of commitment and joy. They are love stories to be celebrated. In the musical Rent, the moment of commitment between Angel and Collins is exuberantly captured in the song, I'll Cover You. And so this morning, in celebration, Michael Adcock and I would like to present I'll Cover You, from the Broadway musical Rent, written by the late Jonathan Larson. Live in my house, I'll be your shelter. Just pay me back with 1,000 kisses. Be my lover, I'll cover you. Open your door, I'll be your tenant. Don't got much baggage to lay at your feet. But sweet kisses I've got to spare. I'll be there and I'll cover you. I think they meant it when they said you can't buy love. Now I know you can rent it. A new lease, you are my love. One life, be my life. 
just slip me on I'll be your blanket Wherever, whatever I'll be your coat You'll be my king And I'll be your castle No, you'll be my queen And I'll be your moat I think they meant it When they said you can't buy love Now I know you can't rent it A new lease, you are my love on life, all my life, I've longed to discover something as true as this is. So with a thousand sweet kisses, when you're cold and I'll you're lonely, with a thousand sweet kisses, not one nickel I'll lonely with a thousand sweet kisses. When you're born with a thousand sweet kisses when your heart has I'll inspired you. Oh, lover I'll cover you Yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, lover I'll cover you Thank you, Kelly, and Michael, and Glenn. And thank you, Ace, for joining me back up front. And now will you all join me for a moment of stillness and quiet reflection and prayer before the music meditation begins. Holy Spirit of life, one who calls us to live in this world, world with love and hope and compassion and integrity. May we all know that embrace of love. May we know that we are held and seen how we wish to be seen in this world as our true, whole, dignified selves. We hold tenderly those among us who are mourning the loss of friends, of siblings, of people who've touched our lives so deeply and whose absence will be a real loss. And we celebrate all of the ways that we are coming together and offering our gifts and talents to serve one another and this world and to be in solidarity with the most vulnerable and marginalized members of our communities. Let us share just a moment of quiet and stillness that we might truly know these prayers within us. Amen. Blessed be.
My name is Ashley Brizzo and I use she, her pronouns. Coming out is loaded and unique for everyone as you've heard from others and will hear later this morning. I'll share highlights from my own experience, but first I do wanna acknowledge with gratitude that my story is far less traumatic than many others. And celebrating coming out as a holiday is an important act of advocacy. And thank you to those who have paved the way because of them, we can. We continue to see change from having to deny, to deny our identities and finally being seen as who we are is really important progress. And all this can still be dangerous. Unfortunately, the Atlantic article from almost a decade ago still rings true for those who don't have the privilege of being out, the same privilege that I've benefited from. My coming up to loved ones as lesbian is notably unremarkable. This gives me hope that who and how we love doesn't need to be formally proclaimed or validated because it's not anything that's all that different or inferior in any way. This aligns to my, uh, the Washington Post article from 2017 that really resonates with me. Do we really need to have a coming out day at all? Um, and I'm grateful that for me, this experience was literally a simple conversation of, hey, I'm dating someone, she's a woman, met with a reply of, cool, tell me about her. Also, where are we gonna go for dinner? <laughs> the sheer non-event of it was not surprising knowing the accepting nature of my family. Um, and years later, when it came time for marriage, it was 100% opposite of the comical and satirical bit from Key and Peele of my gay wedding advice. Um, it was pretty much very the opposite. Lots of love is love, language and swag, including this, I still fit in. Um, I, I do want to address another aspect of coming out though. It's not that single point in time of sharing with close family members. It's not a date in my diary that came and went. It's the ongoing interactions with daycare staff, colleagues, strangers in the supermarket. I wanna shed light on the burden that I feel with this taxing toll of deciding if I come out and navigating the often rude replies that, that follow if, if I choose to. Do I need to correct the person who assumed husband after seeing a wedding ring? Admittedly, sometimes I'm just tired of it all and leave it be. I'm not particularly proud, but in honesty, I've picked vague verbiage at times, job interviews often, saying spouse to let a more acceptable straight front come across, only to reflect on the reality of not wanting to work in that environment and feeling a sense of unfairness for others who may not easily pass as straight and cisgender, whatever that means. I strive to opt for reactions that offer easy alternatives of more inclusive language, not that hard to just say partner. Sometimes I let awkwardness ensue so we can share a bit of the discomfort caused by an insensitive inquiry about who's the man or uh, refusing to reply to details about how to do it. Other times I don't get a choice. Um, I'm not, I don't get a choice to avoid a sensitive topic for example, needing to explain multiple painful times over again why I'm 100% certain that I'm not pregnant before a medical procedure. 
for certain I know that. <laughs> then there's times that the fierce advocate comes out in response to an ongoing onslaught of offensive other status. For example, when events and forms are exclusionary, I feel compelled to make clear the need for welcoming words or rebranding of cutesy events beyond something of donuts with dads. I am still stuck on how to handle supportive scenarios. Recently, the one was, I saw the pride skittles and thought of you. Thanks, cool. Can I still eat straight skittles? I don't know. In closing to those in the LGBTQIA community who aren't out, I hope that it is, is supported if and whenever you choose to make that choice. And I'm here for you if you need. For those who are already out who might feel, might share a similar constant coming out conundrum, I hear you, I see you. For allies, I ask help in relieving the coming out burden by avoiding these types of microaggressions and heteronormative language. Perhaps others want or need something different, but to me, coming out would be a whole lot easier if we were all a little more inclusive. Hello, I'm Susie Gerb, and uh, I'm using she, her pronouns. When I first joined UCC, I heard someone call me an out trans woman. And, and I'm gonna say it shocked and troubled me. Uh, I was only recently removed from the knowledge that I even had a choice. Uh, I was frequently clocked during early awkward outings as my female self. That's our word for someone learning we're trans by looking at us. I assumed my history would always be obvious. Every, every single person I would ever meet would know I once lived as a man. Some would think I still was, or at best only partially female. I fit poorly into the world of men and the bonds women felt for one another suited my emotional bone structure. Could I blend socially with women if they saw me partly a man? That isn't an issue if they're unaware of my gender journey in the first place. So I was filled with giddy euphoria as I began to hide my transness successfully. A clerk at Sears accused me of using my husband's credit card. A man at a party I had known for years had no idea who I was, despite A, knowing that I had transitioned and B, knowing that I would be there. Wow, I could move amongst the gender world as a woman full stop. It wouldn't enter someone's mind to treat me differently not knowing my history. So hearing out trans women jarred me. Outness gave everyone permission to announce my gender history. Would people at this new and exciting UU congregation already be clued in? Must I decide between out or not out? Had I indeed already made that choice? I did intend to tell people, but on my own schedule. I felt my story had left my control. We pronounce LGBT like one monolithic entity, but queer journeys vary. The lesbian examining her own sexuality shyly shares with a confident, dates, moves in, eventually raises a child in a same-sex household. Every step takes her queerness further into the open. It's harder to hide, more an integral part of her identity and existence. Meanwhile, I clomp around with poorly fitting wig, booming voice, bulky hairy limbs, and scratchy face shadow. Slowly, I develop a fashion sense and the beginnings of grace. Electrolysis removes stubble and hormones soften skin and bulk, re-sculpting my face with a feminine roundness. 
I hide forehead and hair. Without cause to believe otherwise, no trace of my history is evident. I settle into womanhood, wishing my transition could fade from history, intent on living as if life hadn't cheated me out of a cisgender body and the privilege of attending it. Unlike our lesbian, every step takes me further from transition. Being trans casts an ever fading shadow. I am less out as I go. My queerness a steadily diminishing part of being with family, friends, and colleagues. Thus, outness wears two faces. Yes, it provides visibility and encouragement for those still in the shadows, but it also can feel like a leash dragging trans people back to a reality we're eager to leave behind. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Ashley. And now before we hear our next reflections, I invite you in the sanctuary to rise in body or in spirit, everyone to rise in body or in spirit, and let's sing together twice through, How Could Anyone? Good morning, my name is Lisa Marini. My pronouns are she and hers. I started dating the person who would become my husband when I was 17 years old. We fell in love and got married while still in college at just 20 years of age. We had three amazing children and created a life that was often wonderful, but was also very troubled. A year ago, that marriage ended. Last month, with the legal divorce finalized, I was ready to start dating. The thought of it was exciting and fun and also weird because I had been married so young and for so long that I was literally dating for the first time in my life. I got an app and started creating my profile. I stared at the screen. It read, I'm interested in dot, dot, dot. I looked at the choices, men, women, everyone everyone not both everyone i chose and i choose everyone even though i have only been romantically involved with cisgender heterosexual men i'm definitely attracted to people outside of those identities 
One woman I matched with asked me how long I had known I was bisexual. I told her that I only recognized my attractions to people other than men for what they were about 10 years ago. Although looking back, I can see that I've had those attractions since puberty. But I said, I don't feel like that label, bisexual, applies to me. Maybe pansexual is more appropriate. I actually still have a lot more to explore about myself. And that's what I'm doing, exploring myself. When you grow up and live an adult life with any type of identity that is considered the norm, it is easy to live that life in a pretty unexamined way. The dating apps will acquaint you with new terms pretty quickly. Sapiosexual, demisexual, ethically non-monogamous, and so on. So not only am I just beginning to explore my sense of attraction to the full variety of people who interest me, I am also re-examining what my heterosexuality means to me. And I am telling you this before telling people closer to me. And a little voice in my head squeaks about that. But a louder voice reminds me that I never told my family I was straight. It was just assumed. And that's on the people making the assumptions. And those are assumptions that I consciously work to avoid when raising my own children. And I feel so fortunate in feeling confident that when more of my loved ones learn their assumptions about my sexuality are incorrect or incomplete, that they will not bat an eye. These people closest to me, they will still love me and care for me and respect me. It is an immense privilege to feel that security. And it is a security that this congregation has given me also. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Sarah Basehart. I use she, her pronouns. Many of you probably remember things you used to say about if you ever have kids. Things like, if I ever have a kid, they will not scream in a restaurant. If I ever have a child in my care, they will not run like a cheetah through the museum. You might even have gone so far as to say, I would never let a tiny human of mine wear those clothes or style their hair like that, all very judgy and all very much said when you believed you would always have full control. Once you begin raising a child, you realize you have no control at all. Even when you are the most organized, in control, type A, that ever lived, trust me, I know. But I never worried about being an affirming parent. That part came naturally. I believe in my core. Everyone has the right to be who they are, to do and say what they want, and of course, to love whom they choose. After all, I'm a liberal woman who runs a nonprofit supporting marginalized people. My parents raised me to be open-minded and accepting in a part of Maryland where it was not popular. I've always voted on the left side of things and fought many times for legislation that protects people's rights. I've been arrested for my civil disobedience. I strive to be accepting, open, and welcoming. My experience as a parent has challenged my personal beliefs to their core over the last couple of years. My children are part of what will likely be called Generation Z, a generation that is on the path to be the most racially and ethnically diverse, best educated generation. They naturally get climate change 
and white supremacy. They have little or no memory of a time before smartphones. This generation is at the front of the changes we're experiencing about gender identity. Like millennials, they either use or know someone who uses gender neutral pronouns like they and them. Knowing all of this about myself and my kids' generation, I ask you, why? When my younger child came to me and said they didn't feel like a girl all the time, why did I cry? Why, when they felt they were non-binary or maybe more masculine, did I cry? Why did it throw me? I want my children to be whoever they want to be. I will support them no matter what. So why the unexpected reaction? Why did I lose my stuff when they decided to use a different name? That name they were giving up was the name we chose with such care and meaning. All these times I felt confused or sad. I also felt guilty that I felt confused or sad. I'm a parent who supports these choices my kid has made, who believes everyone gets to make these choices. Why was it upsetting? And how do I get over the guilt of being upset? I don't have these answers yet. What I do know for sure is that I love this kid and this journey is theirs. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Lisa. Let's sing together again. Come, come, whoever you are. We'll sing through twice. Rise as interested and willing and able. shared this story often enough that I assume every one of you knows it already, although I know, of course, that some of you don't, so I will summarize. One afternoon in the year that I turned 24, I told my parents that the woman they'd known as my best friend for the past three years had been my lover, my girlfriend, and also that she and I were no longer together as a couple, but that I was telling my parents now because I wanted them to know I was not going to keep this a secret. It had been an important relationship, and the truth of it is a part of who I am. And no, Mom and Dad, I don't know what gender of person or persons I will be romantically interested in from here on out. 
In that same conversation, I told them I was not Christian anymore, that I had converted to Unitarian Universalism. And that may even have been the day when I shared the news that I'd voted for the Democrat in the last presidential election. In retrospect, to this day, I am not sure which of those comings out was the most upsetting to them. In the moment, they didn't like any of it. But the truth is that I am among those, like others you've heard from this morning, whose experience was awkward and uncomfortable, but not at all traumatic. And I know that my coming out broke open and expanded our family's relationship in ways that were important and valuable and healing for all of us over time. Later, though, my father would suggest that he didn't think it was important for me to share my dating history with future dates or partners. That, in fact, he thought I probably shouldn't share because, you know, it could just confuse things, especially if I were to date a man. No, I told him. Anyone who wants a relationship with me will accept all of who I am. I will not hide any parts of me. And that's what my own coming out was about, whether to my parents and potential lovers and others about my sexual orientation, which at the time I would have labeled as bisexual, although now I suppose I would say pansexual, although I avoid those labels as much as I can, or whether it's about coming out with my politically partisan preferences or my personal religious beliefs. It's about embracing the choice to reveal my true self without any shame. It's about embracing the truth of the oversimplified adage that the people who matter won't care and the people who care won't matter. It's about the choice to confront and counteract and undermine the homophobia and biphobia and transphobia, the ignorance, the judgment, the derision about any difference from the dominant paradigm. And it's a choice to embrace the power that is the privilege of even having a choice. Because it is a privilege to know that one can be relatively safe while being vulnerable exposed, different. And that is a critical reminder for us, even as we celebrate many wonderful, healing, salvific stories of coming out. Coming out is not safe for everyone, and no one gets to tell someone else when or if they should come out. As Preston Mitchum observed in his 2013 essay in The Atlantic, which is one of the ones that Ashley referenced earlier, one of the art essays, the coming out experience can be a precarious time in a person's life, particularly when one belongs to multiple marginalized communities. Contrary to the mainstream depictions of an economically secure, predominantly white community, LGBT people are racially and financially diverse. When making a public declaration about one's sexual orientation and gender identity, he writes, some LGBT individuals receive an immediate celebration for displaying courage and strength. On the other hand, some testimonies are not warmly received, 
as illustrated by the countless stories highlighting workplace discrimination, family rejection leading to homelessness, physical violence, particularly against black trans women and gender nonconforming men, and unfair criminalization of black LGBT youth. And it's vital, he goes on to say, to appreciate the ways in which race, class, gender, disability, age, and lack of support can complicate the popular narrative of what it means to come out. If there is one thing the It Gets Better campaign unintentionally taught me, he said, it is that if our society does not actively work to make things better, the lives of LGBT people will not get better. Coming out, as Mitchum goes on to explain, can be life-threatening without a community of people actively, actively in solidarity, vigilantly working to make things better for all those among us who are queer. Another writer, Matthew Burkhold, suggests that we should question whether the benefits of National Coming Out Day still outweigh its harms. Continuing to use the rhetoric of coming out, he says, reinforces a view that heterosexuality is still the norm. Imagine we proclaim a national coming out day for everyone, he wrote in 2017. Whether straight, lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, questioning, or curious, October 11th could be a chance to broadcast our sexuality. Or imagine we assume everyone is gay. October 11th could be a day for straight people to announce their sexuality. Until he comes out, casually ask your neighbor's son if he has a boyfriend. Nudge him and point out the cute boys in the neighborhood. Whether one adopts a homonormative or heteronormative view, clinging to a belief that a certain sexual orientation is normal and natural marks those who fall outside of it deviant, a label that has long proved to be the basis of prejudice, discrimination, and hate. So UUCC, we celebrate National Coming Out Day, but not because every queer person should come out of the figurative closet, but because heteronormativity and homophobia and transphobia and biphobia thrive in silence. And so we who are able to tell stories, we commit ourselves to taking action that undermines the idea that any one identity is the only normal option. We say that we celebrate the beauty of our diversity. So let us be vigilant and loving in ensuring that every member of our community is safe to live a life of integrity and to be embraced for who they truly are. So may it be. Amen. We have one more gift of music from Michael with one more special composer. So as Michael offers that gift, you are invited freely and voluntarily to give of your financial gifts for the work of this congregation in the world. You may drop checks or cash in the basket at the back of the sanctuary, or any of you may give by text or online. Thank you for your generosity.
Thank you, Michael. We close with words written by Unitarian Universalist Becky Brooks, titled, Still Queer in America. We were erased and still we loved. We were shamed and still we loved. We were expelled and still we loved. We were laughed at, and still we loved. We were hunted, and still we loved. We were sacrificed, and still we loved. We were marketed, and still we loved. We were legislated, and still we loved. We were murdered, and still we loved. We were murdered, and still, we love. Amen. Regrets collect like old friends, here to relive your darkest moments. I can see no way, I can see no
Kill you makes you stronger 